My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Yours truly, Farmer Gray, is a civic-minded fella. And that's not braggadocio, no sir. For giving back to one's community is no more than should be expected of any right-thinking Mississippian. Let the northerners run roughshod over their neighbors. We here in the Mid-South are aglow with brotherly love. Just standard operating procedure is all. So when Pastor Wally wanted to hold a children's reading circle after Sunday services, he naturally approached me to spearhead the project. The young'uns will sit on the floor of the function room Indian style, says he. You know, crisscross applesauce, while you read them a classic children's tale. Now, when he proposed this, I had reservations. I said, but Reverend, wouldn't it be wiser to expose them to the greatest of all volumes, the Holy Bible? Well, says he, much as I hate to admit it, some of our youth are less than enthused about coming to church. But a program like this might just spark an interest in attending. Well, if that's your thinking, says I, and also because I dasn't refuse a man of the cloth, you can count on me. So it was that a half dozen little boys and girls gathered that first Sunday post-services to hear my recitation of a picture book, a slim volume called Love You Forever. That's right, Love You Forever, a rather anodyne title, if I do say. No harm in the world could arise from a tale designated as such. Chose it for you myself, says Pastor Wally, handing me the tome. A heartwarming fable the children will adore, I guarantee. So I sat myself in a plastic chair with the young congregants gathered round, their cherubic faces eager with anticipation, as I opened to page one and began to read. And this is how it starts. It says, A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Well, ain't that nice? And while so engaged, she assures him of her eternal affection, declaring, and I quote, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. A fine sentiment, though I can't recall my own mama declaring as such. Still, I'm sure she felt it in her heart. And the mama in this book, she goes on a holding that boy every night, saying that little piece even as the lad gets progressively older, and besides that, somewhat odder and more recalcitrant. Does it even when he's a grown man, can you imagine? Takes that adult feller on her lap and coos how she'll love him forever. In his defense, the fellow was asleep when this was happening, so he didn't really know what was going on. But anyway, that's how things progress till I get to the page that says, That mother got older. She got older and older and older. And I start to think, uh-oh. I mean, you could see from the pictures the years were kind of piling on, and... Turns out my anxiety was not unfounded, for he gets a call from her, and she says, You better come see me, because I'm very old and sick. Yeah, that's right. It says right there in the book, Mama calls and says I'm very old and sick. That sort of takes the cheerful factor down a notch, don't you think? But anyway, he goes over there, and she wasn't lying. She's definitely in a bad way, so he holds her and gives his mama the love you forever speech. Same one she gave him all those years. Then he goes home and does likewise with his own baby daughter. The end. Now let me tell you, friends, not being a child counselor, not in any way, shape, or form, I was wholly unprepared for the queries this less-than-merry tale provoked from my audience. 
Does his mama die? asked little Pepper Johnson, clad in her yellow church dress and clutching a toy purse. To which I replied, she, uh, she, did she, echoed the young Jimmy Ralston, did she get old and die? Well, says I, it's never explicitly stated, so, uh, so, she did die, cried Elizabeth Lee Pindorf, age seven, as tears rolled down her cheeks. She died, mama died, and with that all the youngins started sobbing, she died, she died. Now children, says I, she might have pulled through, medical science is doing wonders these days. My mama's going to get old and die, wailed Tyler Post Croydon. You don't know that, says I, in my most comforting voice. She could pass away while still young, but this only caused the bawling to intensify. That night I received more than one telephone call from angry parents who told me their offspring refused to go to sleep, accusing me of telling the children that when they woke up, their mama would be old and dead. I assured them that such was not the case and that we had quite a jolly book lined up for next week's story time. And so I hoped, when Pastor Wally handed me that Sunday selection, this one titled The Giving Tree, chosen, he said, for its jaunty illustration and good moral lesson. So that Sabbath afternoon, I was back in that chair, surrounded by the congregation's youngest. Now the story, it's all about a tree, see, who, quote, loved a little boy very, very much, even, when she even more than she loved herself. Isn't that nice? I showed the drawing of the tree to my audience so they might better appreciate what a sturdy presence she made. Then as the little boy grew up, he got a girlfriend and carved their initials in the tree, and then the tree gave him apples so he could sell them and make money. What a fine thing, says I, eh, boys and girls? Ain't that young man in his tree having a pleasant, pleasant life? So the tale goes on, wherein the boy takes the tree's branches to make a house. Well, nothing wrong with that, right, children? I'm sure they'll grow back. And then he cuts down the tree to make a boat. And he, what? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and be happy. Yup, there it was in black and white. The youngins began to look uncertain and one or two sniffled. But for my part, I promised that all would be well in the end. After all, Pastor Wally couldn't have saddled me with two tear-inducing stories, right? When I turn this page, I told the half-dozen anxious faces, you'll see a joyous outcome, I'm sure of it. And the upshot, ladies and gentlemen, I was wrong. And I mean really wrong. On the last page, well, turns out the boy was now a tired and defeated old man, sitting on the stump of what had once been his loving childhood pal. The end. The tree died, sobbed Elizabeth Lee. He killed it. The mama and the tree died, wailed eight-year-old Newton St. George. And in a moment, the air was filled with a weeping chorus of, They're dead, they're dead. Got more calls over that one. Tyler Post Croydon's mama said he'd wrapped his arms around a red maple and refused to let go for three hours. And Pepper Johnson took a hammer and busted up her daddy's chainsaw. The next Sunday, I read a story entitled, Hachiko, the true story of a loyal dog. Sorry about those other two, says Pastor Wally, but you can't go wrong with this one. It's all about a faithful dog and who doesn't love dogs? Well, I greeted the children and noted that there were circles under their eyes as if from sleepless nights. No need to fret, youngsters, says I, trying to sound as jovial as old Santa Claus, cause today's book is a laugh riot. It's all to do with the capers and antics of a merry mutt. And oh, look, I continued, turning to the first page, it all takes place across the ocean in that Japan. Why, that's the land of happy endings, second only to the good old U.S. of A. Yes, sir. I mean, sure, things didn't end up so amicable back in 1945, but 
It's been a while, and they learned their lesson, so I could see the young'uns brightening as I started to read. Seems this Hachiko, he sees his master, this Dr. Ueno, off at the train station every morning. Yeah, it says right here, the doctor tells this little boy, he walks me to the train station every morning and waits for me to come home every afternoon. Isn't that nice, boys and girls? And look, this little fella name of Kantoro, he goes to the station every day to play with Hachiko and while the canine awaits his master's return. Nothing better than that. A lad and a dog and the pup's owner and the pup's kind owner who returns every day on the train like clockwork. Can't nothing go wrong with that. My audience looked positively giddy at the prospect that things were going to play out just fine. Elizabeth Lee, in fact, she absolutely bounced up and down on the floor. So let's see here, says I. Oh, little Kentaro's papa, little Kentaro's with his papa now, who takes him aside and tells him, Oh, I'm sure it's a happy thing. He tells him Dr. Ueno had died that morning at the university. Okay, so, oh, good Lord. <sighs> I knew I should have stopped reading right then and there, but I soldiered on, hoping that things would take a turn for the better. They didn't. Folks, that dog spends the next ten years waiting at the train station for his master. That's right, I said a decade. Oh, and here's a passage that says Hachiko got very old and stiff and could barely walk. But still he went every day, it says. Isn't that something? And, uh, and uh, here's where it says we find out the dog died at the station, still waiting for his master. You know, the one who passed on a few pages ago. I closed the book and tossed it onto a nearby shelf as if that would somehow negate the sting of what I'd just read. But to no avail, for my audience was now weeping inconsolably. So I says, I says, come on now, Tots, it's not so bad. I mean, yes, he waited for the man day after day, but don't forget, it's not like he had anything better to do. He was a dog. If he hadn't been lying around on the platform at the station, he'd have been lying around on the floor at home. Same difference, if you ask me. And let's face it, he wasn't the brightest of animals. He waited for ten years for that fella. Don't you think around the five-year mark he might have caught on that he was kind of wasting his time, that his afternoon might be better spent, I don't know, sniffing a girl dog or something, to put it indelicately? What is Hachiko, anyway? This Japanese word for stupid? I, I wouldn't be at all surprised. But the children just cried all the harder. My daddy's going to die like Dr. Ueno, sobbed Mason Keats, and then my dog's going to die, too. Mason, says I, isn't it true that you don't even have a dog? No, says he, through his tears, but if I did, now you'd have thought at this point old Farmer Gray would be ready to throw in the towel on this whole reading thing, but dag nabbit, I do have a stubborn streak. So I continued with the Sunday circle, reading each book the Reverend handed me and hoping for the best. To give you somehow idea how that went, here's the syllabus. Old Yeller, Stone Fox, The Earling, Where the Red Fern Grows, The Tiger Rising, Charlotte's Web, Bridge to Terabithia, and The Little Prince. And the final death toll? Dog dies, dog dies, deer dies, two dogs die, tiger dies, spider dies, little girl dies, and little prince dies. At least after a couple more weeks, the children stopped crying when I read to them. That's right, they just looked at me with that thousand-yard stare soldiers get after they've seen too much battle. And Tyler Post Croydon? His hair started falling out in clumps. So you know what I finally did, friends? Well, I'll tell you. Though I'll admit to being no literary marvel, your old farmer, he wrote those young'uns a story himself. That's right, and I called it, listen to this, The Tale of Hootenanny Harold. That's right, Hootenanny Harold. 
which I, the author, will now perform for you. To wit, once upon a time, right here in our beloved Mississippi, there lived a fellow named Hootenanny Harold, and he was called that because, one, his given moniker was Harold, after his paternal great-grandfather, and two, because he loved to throw Hootenannies, throw them a couple times a year right in his big old barn, and all the townspeople, in fact, folks from across the county, They'd come to these shindigs and laugh and dance and sometimes drink a little too much homemade, but not too often, because they were all good Baptists, just like you boys and girls. Hootenanny Harold, says his wife, I can't tell you how proud I am to be married to the man who throws the best Hootenanny south of the Mason-Dixon. Come here and give me a kiss right here on the street in front of everybody, even the little children who'll go, ooh, yuck, but I don't care, because I love you so much. And he did kiss her, which was all right, because they'd been married in a church. Well, one day old Harold learned that his son and daughter-in-law, Liddell and Pankakee, were going to be parents, which thrilled our hero because it meant he was going to be a first-time granddaddy. So he resolved to throw the biggest, grandest hootenanny of all in celebration of the upcoming event. So big and so loud, says he, the barn will tremble like the mighty walls of Jericho. And I'll tell you what, he was no liar, because came the next Saturday, there were more than 300 in that barn, dancing a joyful quadrille as a squadron of musicians, and talking about three banjos, four fiddles, five washboards, and six juice harps, filled the air with town and country. Suddenly, about an hour in, there was a banging on the barn doors. Oh dear, says Hootenanny Harold's wife, I hope that's not the neighbors here to complain about the noise. Not a chance, says Harold, all our neighbors are here in attendance. At that moment, the band stopped, the crowd halts, and all stood listening as the banging continued. Can I be of service, friend, says Harold, as he swung the doors wide, for I... But he was stopped mid-sentence by a sight that nearly set his jaw to drop, because there, illuminated by the light of the full moon, he saw a spider, a deer, a tiger, a little girl, an old lady, a princeling, five dogs, and a tree. Sorry to interrupt, says the spider, who, against all logic, could talk, but we're a team of storybook characters seeking refuge from our authors because for some reason they're trying to kill us. We heard all the noise a mile away and thought, well, maybe you could help us out. What a sad state of affairs, says Harold. Of course we'll offer you sanctuary, for I oppose unwarranted mortality. Come join the fun. They did so, too, and what a time they had. The old lady danced like she was twenty, spinning round the giving tree who gave apples to one and all. Meanwhile, the yearling ate lettuce, old yellow ate ham, the tiger ate nobody, and the spider spun a web that said, some party. Even Hachiko, the not-too-bright dog, cut a rug, chasing his tail to the delight of onlookers. The next week, the whole storybook crew bought 500 acres in Quitman County, where they planted soybeans in a good cover crop. Did quite well for themselves, too, what with the prices being up more than 5% from a year ago. And so they lived happily ever after, and I mean really happily, because there's no such thing as a sad farmer. The end. When I'd finished reading, the children sat silent for a moment. Then Pepper Johnson says, What's that mean? Does that mean nobody died? You could think that, says I. Or you could simply think this. If the story they're telling gets you down, just write your own, dear. Just write your own. Yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>